The year was 1965. And in outer space, there were vampires. That's right. Tonight we're talking about Mario Bob's 1965 movie, Planet of the Vampires. That was your best intro ever, Grant. It's that my video. <laughs> Here's a movie that you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles. There'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death. Bye video. Time for death. Bye video. And now the show will begin. Hello, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. This is the first episode we've recorded in many, many months. Uh, hopefully it'll be a short one because there's not much to talk about with this movie. It was light on plot, big on atmosphere. Um, and it's a movie that none of us have ever seen before. Um, I've always meant to watch it as part of, I'm a big fan of Mario Bava, uh, his films uh, Blood and Black Lace, Kidnapped, uh, Danger Diabolic, um, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, uh, Black Sunday, of course. I've got that poster up on my wall. Big fan of his work, and this is just a hole that uh, I needed to plug. Um, and of course, everyone knows that this is the movie that uh, Alien was uh, kind of ripped off certain elements of. Some of it's. Yeah. Does everybody know that? Yeah, it's it's like I think they put it on the back of the DVD box when it was first released. So, guys, before we actually get into this movie, because we're running, uh, we have to pad this episode out. I'm going to ask something we haven't asked in a long time. Have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded several months ago, Phil? Uh, the most recent one is Lamb, which uh, is a divisive movie, but I enjoy it. It's arty, it's ridiculous, and it's good because it's ridiculous. Cool. Anything else? A lot. I have to check my letterbox. Let's all check our letterbox. <laughs> um, well, you know what? I'll, we'll, we'll do. We'll go around, and I'll see what I watched recently that uh, that uh, tickled my fancy. Uh, pardon the expression. Um, I watched most recently Parasite Lady, the 2020. Actually, no, that's not true. I watched Battlefield Baseball, which I didn't care for. Um, the movies that I really enjoyed uh, were Parasite Lady, which is a 2023 film from local uh, GTA. That's Greater Toronto Area filmmaker uh, Chris Alexander. Uh, he's carrying on in his, in his tradition of emulating Jean, uh, Jean Roland and uh, Jesus Franco in his uh, oeuvre. This film earned extra points for me because it was shot in Niagara Falls, which is a kitschy, wonderful wasteland that uh, is only two hours away from Toronto. Um, and then before that, I watched uh, Takashi Miike's Fudo, The New Generation, which I really, really dug. It was fun, bloody, gory. Um, before Ichi the Killer, this was the film that uh, Takashi Miike was kind of known for. It had like a decent DVD release. Um, actually, me and Phil, uh, Phil, you and I caught You Hurt My Feelings at the Varsity Cinema in Toronto. Yes, I, I, I really like that one. Same here. I think uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, is due for like a good run of theatrical releases. I agree. It's, it's the kind of movie you don't really see at the movies anymore. Yeah, and we watched it in Cinema 8 at – or sorry, Cinema yeah. 7 at the Varsity, which is a, a, one of their cinemas I've never been in before, and I love that place. It was little. There was no stadium seating, which is great because I hate stadium, stadium seating. It feels like you're actually watching a movie again. Yeah, it's very old. It's kind of got kind of that Market Square vibe, that little auditorium. Yeah, it's quite good, but it still has a big screen. That's the important thing. Flush uh, seats, get to recline back a little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Phil, what else have you seen that uh, you've enjoyed lately? I really liked uh, CanCon Alert, uh, The Maiden, which is getting yet another run at uh, the Lightbox. 
interesting because I know a few other people that went to go see it, and they said it was. I won't use the term they the terms they said to describe it because they were not fans. But you liked it. I really liked it, which is funny because the screening I went to was a Saturday matinee. I practically every conversation I overheard, everybody shattled. Right. Oh well, so it was well executed, but they said it like in a backhanded way that. They didn't like it. It's the old thing of saying, like, you know what was good about that movie? The music. Yeah. They're like, it looked great, but they knew what they were going for. I just didn't like it. (laughs) I see, I see, I see. Well, you know what, Phil? Sometimes it's good to go against the grain. Yes. Cool. Anything else uh, recently? Uh, Yes. I uh, watched um, Merrily We Go to Hell. It was part of the pre-code Paramount the pre-code Paramount series that wrapped up on Criterion last month, which is a terrific uh, melodrama. Damn it, I should have seen it. Yeah, well, it's going to come back. They they bring it back every few months, Criterion. Uh, that's what's about Frederick March and uh, Sylvia Sidney. Cool, cool, cool. Anything else? Yes, I rewatched yet again the Doom Generation for once in a proper format. Yeah, that's been stuck in pan and scan for like ever, right? Forever. Like I even saw it at the Royal and that was like a pan scan DVD that they were showing. It was horrible sound. But like it's a movie that's that looks great even in crappy pan scan, but you know, it's a proper restoration and it's on the Criterion channel now and it's doing its rounds. It's screening rounds. Nice, nice. I'm guessing there's probably going to be if there's a good restoration of it, that means that there is a uh, probably a, uh, a Blu-ray or a 4K uh, DVD there, on the way. It was a 4K restoration. Greg Araki oversaw it. The strand is behind it. Oh, okay, cool. So, they've done a bunch of Greg Araki's other. Um, they re-released a bunch of Greg Araki's other movies. Cool, cool, cool. Now they just need to resurrection nowhere. I'm sure it's just stuck in copyright hell because. There are no like legal ways of watching that movie right now. Fascinating. You find, like a used VHS copy or something. Kit, you want to jump in? Well, I just uh, I've only seen Doom Generation once, and I was like twelve years old because my older sister and her friend rented it from the uh, local VHS. We all hated it because I mean we were not prepared for anything that was on offer. Like that's the kind of movie you watched as a '90s edge lord. Cool. Um, that's a very reductive way of putting it, but you know. I get you. But if you were like a 90s edge war, that's kind of like the movie you reach for. It's kind of like when everybody started getting, uh, everybody watched Fight Club in university, but they didn't get it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, And then finally, is there anything else you want to talk about that you've seen in the last little while? Uh, While you're looking it up, uh, Kit, you and I watched a, a certain special movie recently from the year 2015, right? We did, yes. Well, you went on a, you went on a recent journey. Uh, you uh, you decided to reunite with uh, with Vinny Chase and the boys. Uh, we, we've got E, we got Turtle, we got Johnny Drama. Uh, you were just uh, kind of seduced back into that uh, that uh, gl- glamorous world of Entourage, and you made it through the series. I'd already watched the series, but I never watched the movie. So uh, when I heard you were watching the series, I said, "Well, let me know when you're watching the movie." And you did, and we watched it, and it was terrible. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bad movie, folks. Real, real bad. No, I started watching the series because there was some discourse. Doug Elgin didn't uh, understand that a satiric tweet was satiric about removing questionable content from Entourage, the series, when it was uh, airing on Max in the United States. And so he went off on a tear. And I'm like, you know what? You know, I never actually finished that series because um, I, I was an early, like, I'm done with this shit uh, when it come, came to that show. 
I like dropped out in like season three. Um, but then I was like, you know what? I wonder how it ended. Turns out it nothing really happens. It's a show of no stakes. And it's also quite bad. Like not in terms of, of the, the content or the way that they treat women, which is terrible. Uh, it was terrible then and it's terrible now. But it's just very – there's no stakes. There's no drama. Not even with Johnny drama. Well, like, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, Johnny drama. He gets a viral video of him jacking off. Is the, is the big stake. So it's is Johnny drama going to be the loser of the group again? Turns out no. He wins a Golden Globe at the end of it. So good for him. But uh, yeah, Doug Ellen is just not an imaginative person. He he can't um, he can't get his mind beyond like uh, tits and cars. I will say I enjoyed the cinematography of the movie. Speaking of like when you're trying to find something good to say about a movie that you don't like, um, I thought I thought it was shot very well. Um, and Phil, back to you. What was the final movie you wanted to talk about? Uh, Margot at the Wedding. That was a rewatch. Um, Noah Baumbach's last few movies have been very disappointing for me. And, you know, I, I was like a longtime fan. And Margot at the Wedding is part of the Jennifer Jason Lee series. So I decided to rewatch. I was like, do I still like Noah Baumbach? And it turns out I do. That's good. I enjoyed his film Mistress America from a few years back. I really like Mistress America. I, that's another one I'd like to rewatch. That's a movie you saw with a friend of the podcast, Vanessa. And me. Yeah, I was yeah, there. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, former a former host Lillian and uh, and Irina Perez. I forgot that was such a big gathering. That's when we used to go to movies in uh, like en masse, and now we don't. Normally it's just you and me or, or me and Kit and yeah. or just me by my lonesome. Yeah, no, that was, that was a great 80-minute uh, movie, uh, Mistress America. Cool. All right, Phil, Kit, sorry. <laughs> it's been a while since we did this. Kit, uh, what else have you seen recently that you want to talk about? Uh, just a couple movies. Um, I watched, uh, for the first time, I watched uh, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Uh, hadn't seen that before. That one's a good one. Uh, the film opens up. You see Tim Thomerson's name in the credits. You're like, this is going to be a good movie. Um, also, like that's just probably one of uh, Bill Paxton's best performances. You've got the whole supporting cast of aliens in that movie. You do, yeah, and they even show there's an aliens marquee in the in the backdrop of one shot. And it's like, wow, there's two actors from that movie in here. At least two actors, if not more. Three? Who's the uh, third? Well, you got Vasquez. Ah, uh... uh, right, 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 right. And then of course Lance Henriksen with a wicked rat tail. Just. <laughs> Um, and then I, uh, just last night I watched Angel Heart. Um, the, uh, oh, I can't, who directed that one again? Alan Parker. Alan Parker. Alan Parker, that's right. Uh, starring, uh, a young, fresh-faced looking, not yet destroyed his face, Mickey Rourke, um, and a bearded Robert De Niro. And I do not know why Robert De Niro didn't go with the beard more often. I think it's just that and Jackknife, um, where he's rocking the beard, but he's looking handsome and also very evil. He's got the long hair, too. That one's got Lisa Bonet. Isn't that the film that uh, basically disconnected her from Bill Cosby? Yeah. <laughs> for the best. Yes. yes, ultimately for the best. But yeah, he didn't want her on his wholesome TV show uh, after that one. Yeah, what I remember about uh, Angel Heart is like uh, Rob De Niro's goofy pun name. Uh, oh. Was it, isn't it like Deville or something? No, it's, like- no, it's, uh, um, it's Lucius Saphir. <laughs> which finally like um uh mickey Rourke figures out at the end and he's like even your name's a stupid joke um yeah that was a pretty good one i actually enjoyed it um good double bill with jacob's ladder with jacob's ladder yeah it's also another one where like guy gets tricked into sleeping with his own daughter yeah. <laughs> have you never seen angel heart no why Jeez. 
it's not bad. It's like a it's like a neat uh, it's like a kind of detective noir except mixed with um uh satanic uh ritualistic elements. Yeah, I remember when the DVD of it came out in like 2004 and everyone was flipping out. I was like, "It's Angel Heart uncut." Oh yeah. I don't know why I went Macho Man with that, but yeah. Uh, and then one other film I wanted to shout out, another film we saw all together in the theaters, uh, just for that uh, CanCon uh, quotient, we all went and saw BlackBerry together. Big year for CanCon 2023. Oh, I agree, because yeah, we had, uh, what was it, um, I Like Movies, which which I considered a 2022 movie. Uh, we had BlackBerry, of course, we had... Uh, yeah, one mentioned The Maiden. The Maiden, one of my favorite films from 2022, which is now getting a release... Uh, which is uh, Until Branches Bend, which I love the the heck I out of that. I that at the review that played a few weeks ago, and I missed it. Find it when you can. It's quite good. Uh, I'm sure it'll be on streaming. Yeah, at some point. And, and yeah, like the um, the fantastic BlackBerry film, uh, which is just great. Good use. And it's like, I'm like, this is a Canadian film done right. There's no Calm Fior or Stephen McHattie to be seen whatsoever. <laughs> no, there is a Mark Critch, but. Hey, you got to represent Newfoundland. <laughs> Yeah, you got Michael Ironside, an unrecognizable Michael Ironside. Well, he's been like that for a while now. Like the last thing that he popped up in, I was kind of like, oh, that's what Mike looks like now. He's just kind of, he's bloated. He's an old man. <laughs> let him be, he's been acting for 50 years. Just let him be an old man. Well, the beard threw me off. That, that's what did it. Oh, really? He's had the beard forever. Like he had it since uh, at least no Turbo idea. Kid. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he was great in Turbo Kid. I don't think I've seen anything he's done post Starship Troopers. Really? Not even Turbo Kid. I definitely did not see Turbo Kid. You should see Turbo Kid. Um, okay, then wrapping everything off with some more stuff I've seen. Um, I watched Frankie and His Pals finally. This is a, a lost film from 1991, shot on video, uh, which kind of caused a bit of a a controversy in the year 2020 when. Synap- or not, not Synapse, um, Severin Films, under their uh, Intervision uh, sub-label, was going to release it on DVD, and they only had 1,000 copies. And they didn't realize that more than 1,000 people would want to buy a copy of this, like, only seen in, on one uh, public access network shot on video movie that nobody had ever heard of before, but uh, it crashed their website. They sold out, like, almost instantly, and people were accusing them of, like, you know, gaming the system or being this or like put it out and they're like, we didn't know that we would ever sell a thousand copies of Frankie and his pals and they did. And then they re-released it recently and I was able to snag a copy and it's a, it's a wild ride as uh, I don't want to spoil it. Cause like we are, I think it should be in a future DBV episode, but it's uh, basically long story short, uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the mummy and the hunchback of Notre Dame are all trapped in this cave for like a hundred years. And then they're eating some beans and Frankenstein farts and the fart ignites and it blows open a hole in the wall and they're able to escape the cave. And then they have to go find the gold that's in the local town. But it turns out it's Halloween, so they kind of fit in. And then there's a costume party that they all go to. And Dracula just can't ever find blood to drink. Like he, there's like a, a person dressed up as a nurse and she has like, you know, a, a thing of blood. And he's like, ah, oh, finally I have blood to drink. And it turns out it's just like sugar water. And then he, he goes to, up to the bar and someone orders a Bloody Mary. And he's like, yes, I will have one of them too, a Bloody Mary. And then... He just spits out. He's like, Ugh, what is this shit? Um, Frankenstein. And then somehow they all wind up judging a bikini contest. Um, and it's just a great slice of weirdness from a great regional film from from our neighbors to the south, the United States of America. 
So let's talk about Planet of the Vampires. This was a 19... Heartbreakers. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we should have talked about that. Heartbreakers in a very rare screening. Uh, Phil and I went to go see the Neon Dream Cinema Club presentation of Heartbreakers at the Review Cinema. It was a... That's a fantastic movie. Not at all what I was expecting. I think it was sort of what I was expecting, but but I was still surprised by it. Yeah, it kind of starts off as an 80s, like, two dudes having fun comedy, and then gets very serious and sad and, and introspective and depressing. Yeah. But in the most wonderful way. Toxic dudes. Yeah, just great. I'd call it non-toxic masculinity, because that's what they struggle with, is they realize that they are not good men. Yeah, no, it's, it's a self-aware... But, but still male gazy, admittedly. Oh, totally male gazy. Um, all right, so Planet of the Vampires. It was directed by Mario Bava in 1965. The screenplay was by <gasps> Alberto Bivilca something. <laughs> Read that first name. Alberto Bevilacqua. Okay, Alberto Bevilacqua, uh, Calisto Casalic, Mario Bava, Antonino Roman, Rafael J. Sal- Salvia. And then the English version by Ib Melchior and Louis M. Hayward, um, produced by Fulvio Luciano. And Fulvio Luciano is still alive today, born in 1928. Um, he has a huge career. He did, after Planet of the Vampires, he did Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. He did Down the Agent Staircase 1975. Uh, Fantosi 2000, La Clonison in 1999. Um... My Life with Stars and Stripes in 2003, and then X in X, Amici Come Prima in 2011. I butchered all of those titles. Um, <laughs> the film stars Barry Sullivan, Norma Bengel, Angel Arana, and Evie Mirandi. So Barry Sullivan, he is best known for his, uh, he received an Emmy for his, a nomination for his performance in The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Uh, his career spanned 40 years. He was born in 1912 and passed away in 1994. So he was 53 when he made uh, Planet of the Vampires. Um, he, uh, he he actually appeared in the 1940s Green Hornet, uh, serial of the Green Hornet Strikes Again. Um, he was in... I trying to see if there's anything good here. He was in a movie called Duffy's Tavern, which actually we have a Duffy's Tavern here in Toronto. Is it still there, the one on, on Bloor Street? Oh, yeah, still there. He was in the 1949 adaptation of The Great Gatsby. Um, he was in the 1952 movie The Bad and the Beautiful. And he was in a bunch of other stuff. Um, so the real draw here is, of course, Mario Bava, who I mentioned earlier, uh, one of my favorite Italian directors. I mean, he's the Italian director that inspired all the other Italian directors that you like. Um, we're just going to run through a quick, uh, just the briefest of summary of his films. He did The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Black Sabbath, The Whip in the Body, Blood and Black Lace, Planet of the Vampires, Kill Baby Kill, Danger Diabolic, A Bay of Blood, Baron Blood, Lisa and the Devil, Rabbit Dogs, uh, The Affirmation, Kidnapped. Um, he also did Hercules in the Haunted World. That's the thing, like, everyone kind of associates him with horror, but he had a whole career before he did horror. He did Sword and Sandal. He did a bunch of Hercules movies. He did a bunch of um, uh, just action films. I don't think he ever really did. He did Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Sunday poster in the background. I now have a Black Sunday poster right on my wall. Black Sunday, also known as uh, Mask of Satan. Um, and then he also did, his, I mean, his best known later period work was probably Shock from 1977. And then he did uncredited directing um, on Inferno, the the Dario Argento 1980 sequel to Suspiria, when Dario Argento actually got sick uh, while shooting in New York City. Um, so 
Planet of the Vampires, like we were saying earlier, not a whole lot of plot going on. No. Not really any vampires either. Yeah, that kind of bummed me out. I was the whole time I'm just like, all right, when are we gonna get crosses and stakes and garlic and uh, garlic and holy water? And then what happened, Phil? You didn't get any of that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Um, but uh, so basically, it's it's the same setup as Alien. There's a a spaceship traveling through deep space, and they get a um, uh, an SOS signal from a planet, a mysterious planet that they head towards. There's two ships. They decide to land. Uh, it turns out there's 40 G's of gravity, which is odd because G stands for gravity in how you measure stuff. Um, and it's gravity relative to Earth, so it's 40 times the, the gravity relative to Earth, which we learn later on, and no human being should be able to survive because it's at 25 G's that humans will die from, from gr- the gravitational pull. You're pulling Neil deGrasse Tyson with the... <laughs> yeah, they're bending. They're getting metaphysical all over the place. Um and quantum physical, uh, or quantum mechanics. And so they land, uh, they lose contact with the other ship, and when they go over, they find that pretty much everyone on the other ship is dead. And so they bury some of the men, but then all of a sudden the bodies disappear, and then some bodies emerge from the grave, and this is how you get space vampires. Take it away, Phil. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go. <laughs> Take it away, Kit. Well, you, you didn't address the, um, the uniforms that, um, that they, they have. Uh, these real uh, like black leather uniforms with super high collars and and like this uh, nice yellow trim. It's a it's a pretty good look. Pretty good look for uh. And don't forget the yellow helmets. The yellow helmets, which they only wear like once when they're not sure, because uh, as soon as they land, everybody gets space madness and and starts attacking one another. And then one of the guys, uh, I forget, they've all got names like Bert and Wes and um, Mark. Um, he. I, I think June Roddenberry was taking notes as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, especially with the set that uh, that I I love that uh, I wish that uh, science and technology had just leaned in towards that kind of aesthetic. Uh, just uh, just you know, work panels with uh, brightly colored knobs and lights and switches and and all that stuff. Um, and filing cabinets. Filing cabinets. You've got a uh, you've got a great big orb in the center of the room that changes different colors. And I guess that's I, I have no idea what that is. Um, so it's a movie like that, kind of uh, cool sets, cool like uh, Art Deco um, space sets and costumes. And uh, anyway, yeah, they get on the planet. Uh, there's weird rock formations. There's fog. Uh, there's luminous globes. There's acid. There's strange sonic whales. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, so the, the aesthetic and the design of this film is fantastic. Like, this is a total vibe movie. Like, I wish I had seen it. So uh, the restoration that was uh, presented by Nicholas Wynn and Ruffing uh, premiered in Toronto uh, a while ago. They were, uh, back, well, I guess it was 2019, they were doing a whole Mario Baba weekend at the, the dearly departed Royal Cinema. Um, and I know it's still around, but it's not the same. name only. Yeah, it's, it's not the same thing. So... At the Royal Cinema, they did a, a Mario Baba tribute, and like part of it was they showed the 4K restoration of this film. I wish I'd gone to that because this is very much a vibe. You just got to let the, the film wash over you. The colors are fantastic, as they always are in Mario Baba films, because Mario Baba understood that the cheapest special effect is color. And we'll actually talk about the special effects in this film because how they achieved them, the budget was very, very low. They couldn't afford any optical effects. So all these special effects had to be done practically in camera to save money. Uh, and they got very, very clever with how they did it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um... 
but uh and i mean this is definitely like it feels like a sunday afternoon like you're watching on your couch movie sort of like forbidden planet yeah forbidden planet had a bit more plot though yeah yeah it definitely did i'm just saying that kind of vibe yeah, so the whole time I was just waiting, I'm like, okay, when does the vampirism start? Because they don't really drink anyone's blood. They're they're really more metaphysical vampires. So the the long and the short of it is, a lot of stuff happens. So they get to the planet, uh, they receive this SOS, um, and then members of their crew start dying off and being resurrected. And then also during this time, we're jumping way ahead, they find the derelict spaceship from an ancient species um, that had long since died, and their bodies were huge, and they had like all been... Uh, I guess, um, what's the term? Petrified? Is that right? Or are they uh, fossils? They're, they're more fossils. You see the, uh, the great big skulls of these, uh, these ancient aliens. It's very much like Alien, where they find the, uh, the jockey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And from that, we got Prometheus. Um, but, uh, but then they go inside this alien spaceship, and uh, one of them touches this. The, the uh, I think it's Sonya is her name? It's Sonya, yeah. And for some reason, during this uh, little away mission, uh, they change out of their black uniforms into some orange and blue ones, which I don't know why. I guess that's just their adventurous uniforms. They change back into the black ones afterwards. But I guess that's their traveling through outer space uniform, and then the orange one is the exploratory scientific uniform. I guess so, but they <laughs> those two only wear it once. And then, yeah, they go into the alien spaceship. It's got different kind of shapes. It doesn't have the orbs. It's got triangles. That's how you know it's foreign. Yeah. Or alien. Huh? Huh? Um, so then from there, um, uh, they the whole thing is, like, they need uh, to uh, basically like, get their ship going because it's not working. They can't take off. They find that the other ship, which is where all the – which we already said is where all the other crew members have died – they bury the bodies, the bodies wake up and start walking around, and those are our vampires. And it turns out that on this planet, the species that is native to this planet doesn't physically exist, so they need to inhabit the body of another species. And the reason why they are aggressively trying to lure other people in is because their son is dying and they need to escape to, to go to a different planet to find more species to inhabit. I'm, I'm relatively sure I have encountered this exact same plot on like an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Um... Yeah, definitely sure. Um, yeah, they exist on a, a different vibratory plane, uh, as one of them explains. The one that has inhabited the dead body of the captain. Oh, we forgot to talk about space madness. Well, yeah, when they uh, when they first land, they start attacking each other, and we don't know why. And then they can't remember that they just attacked each other. Um, but they they always want to fight, and this is later explained by the alien, like, oh, we were trying to get you to kill each other so we could take over your bodies. Yes, those dastardly aliens. Um, yeah, you took a lot of notes. Yeah. Good for you. Not none of them useful. Powerful course. Um, but well, just like uh, like the forty Gs, like when they're landing, there's there's forty Gs. Um, the the graviton forces. Yeah. So the thing that's damaged on their ship is their meteor rejector, mm -hmm. uh, which they need to take off, and I think they need to get some plutonium or something from. So they go to the other ship to get the the gravity rejector but it's at this point meteor rejector meteor rejector sorry you need the gravity yeah um but yeah so basically they've realized that the other because they brought on two of the other um people who they thought were dead came back to the ship and like oh we're actually okay um it's like all right well you guys go get some rest while we like search stuff uh and then th they get up and they start sabotaging the ship and that's when uh our hero captain well mark who is our hero and wes and sonia discover that 
they have been sabotaging the ship. And when they ask why, it's like, I'm not actually the person you knew. I am the species here that's inhabited this person. Like, just, just die already and let us take you over. And that's where they lay out the plan where, like, their plan is to have them uh, basically, like, take off in the ship and then go to that world so that they can take over the whole planet. But we don't – we assume it's Earth that they want to go to, which is the home planet, but we learn later on that that's not the case. Well, we we assume it's Earth because they've all got names like Bert and Fiona and, and things like that. Um, but, yeah, they don't – they're not like, die already, uh, we want to take over your bodies. They're like, oh, we can share. Like, it'll, it'll be a shared space. We're moving into your uh, your soul, and we'll just kind of share the body, and uh, that'll be great, right? Um, and like a true American, Mark says, get off my lawn. Yeah, he's like, we'll never accept that. We'll die before we let you. Spoiler alert, they do. Um, so then they, they basically have to go to the other ship to get their meteor rejector so that they can take off and safely reject those meteors. So they go over there, and they fight a whole bunch of space vampires, and the entire time I'm just screaming like, get across, let's get some garlic and, and holy water going, in a, or a steak through the heart. But what happens, Phil? None of that's there. <laughs> no, they're not vampire vampires. They're just... It's, yeah, it could have been called, like, um, Planet of the Zombies instead. But they're not quite zombies, too, because they're, like, just possessed people. But they're possessed dead bodies. Yes. So, um, luckily, Mark and Sonia, they fight their way off... Um, they get and like our last two people who aren't uh, like and it, basically there's only five crew members left at this point. Wes, who's hanging holding the fort down inside the spaceship. Two other people who are well, Fiona. Yeah. Oh yeah, Fiona and the other guy who are fighting like holding up back the the hordes of vampires from invading their spaceship. And then Mark and Sonia. And so Mark and Sonia have to fight their way back. But unfortunately, uh, some space vampires shoot uh, Fiona and the other guy in the back and kill them. So they're done. Uh, Sonya and Mark make it back inside. They reattach the meteor rejector, and then they take off into the outer space. And Mark's like, oh, whew, thank God that's okay. Or no, sorry, not Mark, Wes. He's like, thank God that worked out okay. Well, right, he, Mark? Well, no, Wes is, uh, he's kind of beside himself. He's like, out of 18, there's only three left. I, I feel guilty being being alive still, right, Mark? And Mark's like, yes. It is difficult <laughs> being the only ones left alive. Isn't it, Wes? So yeah, if you've seen Alien, you know there's it's a it's a fake ending. It's a, our heroes have not escaped just yet. Yeah, yeah. So Wes, and then he tell then Mark, then the person that is inhabiting Mark's body tells Wes like, why don't you go get some sleep? You've been awake for two days straight. So Wes goes to get some sleep, and then as he's about to fall asleep, uh, Mark decides tries to sneak into his room, but gets caught and sneaks out. And so then Wes goes to Sonya and is like, hey, I think Mark might be one of those space vampire things. <laughs> Well, he says, uh, he's like, because he saw Mark kind of like sneak around and he's like, but why did he come to me so furtively? Which is just a, I don't know. Yeah. The English, uh, the English dialogue writers on this, they broke out the the, the thesaurus hard. Um, then what happens, Phil? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) So then Sonia starts acting weird and the entire audience, including us, is like, oh, don't trust her. Don't trust her. She's like, all right, let's go get him and so they go and Mar- uh, Wes has like a one of their like laser rifles and then like I'm just like whatever you do Wes don't walk in front of her because she'll shoot you in the back and sure, enough, and sure- grabs one. yeah she grabs a space rifle and then uh, but she walks in front and you're just like okay and then as they walk in Sonia conf- Sonia and um, and Wes confront Mark and Sonia says bad news Mark Wes is on to us 
And Wes is just like, what? Oh, no. Um, what happens after that, Kit? Uh, well, they're, they're like, well, it's too late, blah, blah, blah. You'll just join us. It's actually pretty nice. It's very complex having two, uh, two consciousnesses in here. It's, re it's really cool. Uh, and Wes is like, no! And he runs and he destroys the meteor rejector. Right, and this is, causes the ship to not be able to travel as far back to the home, the home planet of the astronauts as they thought. And then Sonya's like, is there a planet close by that can support us? And Marker's like, yes, there is. This small planet, and they show uh, an image from the planet, which looks a heck of a lot like Earth. It's like, it is the third planet from the star that we call Saul. <laughs> and it is so small and unremarkable that it is not on any of our space maps. And then they zoom in, and it's like, ha look at those primitive people. We will definitely take over. They still make buildings out of stone, and they show, like, modern-day Manhattan. Yeah, a bunch of skyscrapers and stuff. Very primitive. And then credits roll, the end. Bum, bum, bum. What happened? And that was it for Planet of the Vampires. Mostly, as you said, like a vibes movie. Yeah, fun. Uh, we'll get into our final thoughts. I'm just going to read some trivia first. And this is straight from the IMDb, so you know it's true. So director Mario Bovett used mirror, the mirror-based Schuften process to combine live action with miniatures and thereby avoid the costly matte optical printing techniques. So any time in this film, like I noticed that like there's no, even though the DVD we watched is an old one from like an old print, any time there is a physical, what you would think is an optical effect, there isn't the normal degradation of image that occurs with optical effects from the 1960s. And that's because they actually did it practically in camera using mirrors to reflect images that uh, so they would like reflect the images of the of the cast onto a mirror in order with a miniature backdrop on top of it in order to avoid like any kind of degradation of image or any optical effect. It's very super clever. Uh, this film marks the first collaboration between Mario Bava and his son slash assistant director Lamberto Bava. Of course, Lamberto Bava would go on to direct the Fantastic Demons and Demons Two. I, th I also think he directed the film Delirium, but I could be wrong. Um, the film went through 15 working titles before the American International Pictures settled on Planet of the Vampires. Only one spaceship model was built for the film. Um, and then the original title for the film during production was Planet of Terror. Susan Hart was originally cast as Sonya, but upon arriving in Rome immediately following her honeymoon with AIP co-founder James H. Nicholson, she was locked out of production due to Zam Samuel Z. Arkoff's enforcement of a new anti-nepotism anti company policy. Hart also suspects that Barry Sullivan's onset arguments with an unidentified production member was another factor in her dismissal. Norma Bengal was not cast as her replacement until halfway through shooting. Hart would later appear in another Mario Bava film, Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. Although her only scene in the film was recycled from its predecessor, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Uh, the costumes for the entire cast were done uh, in only 20 days. Barry Sullivan admitted that while dubbing his lines for the English version of the film, he wept in amazement over its visual quality, which is true for the time. Like, I mean, you got to remember, this is pre-2001 uh, A Space Odyssey. So sci-fi at this time looked haggard and ratty. Like, this was a visual breakthrough in 1965. You would not see anything like this again until even... You got to go back and remember the original Star Trek series was pretty janky. It only had, like, seven shots of the Enterprise that they just reused over and over and over again. And then it really wasn't until 2001 A Space Odyssey that visual effects took off in such a way. Uh, literally. Yeah, literally. Um, along with It, The Terror from Beyond Space in 1958 and Dark Star in 1974, this film is considered to be a primary influence for, for the film Alien. Although Ridley Scott would later claim that he had never seen the film before making, 
making this uh, alien. Screenwriter Dan O'Bannon ex- explained, I was aware of Planet of the Vampires. I don't think I had seen it all the way through. I had seen clips from it, and it had struck me as evocative. It had the curious mixture that you get in these Italian films of spectacularly good production design with an aggressively low-budget mentality. Coincidentally, both films also featured special effects devised by Carlo Rimbaldi. Didn't Dan O'Bannon write Dark Star? He did, and he, to be honest, he really co-directed it with John Carpenter. It was just in um, the, when they picked up a distributor, the distributor kicked his name off of it. Okay. And then John Carpenter said, I don't want to work with you anymore because I don't want to share credit. Um, uh, Miro Bava worked with a new camera crew on this film for the first time. Evie Morandi initially had more uh, had a more prominent role, but her part was diminished in subsequent rewrites of the script. She was Fiona. Uh, the German import DVD has a Super 8 version, German language only as a special feature on the disc. So the back before home video was really a thing. The only way to, to watch movies at home was Super 8 versions. So like they, they would be a, either a digest where it was certain scenes just all collected together and occasionally, occasionally without sound. So you would just and like occasionally also not in color. So like there there's famously a Star Wars black and white digest movie which features just scenes in black and white with no sound and and it's not the whole movie. It's just the digest version. Um in 1965, American International Pictures distributed the film dubbed in English under and titled Planet of the Vampires on a double bill with Die, Monster, Die, also from 1965. Um, and that's about it for that. But let's talk about a little bit about the, the production side of things. So production-wise, American International Pictures had achieved a great deal of commercial success in the early 1960s with Mario Baba's Black Sunday and Black Sabbath as well as dozens of lesser Italian films, including several sword and sandal pictures. Eventually, AIP heads Samuel Z. Arkoff and James H. Nicholson decided to co-produce some of these films rather than just importing them. Uh, and it's also to, to have more control over the content. Planet of the Vampires was one such co-production financed by AIP and Italy's Fulvio uh, Luciano for Italian International Film uh, Corporation, along with some Spanish production money provided by Castilla Cooperative Corrupativa Cinematographica. (laughs) You're getting them out there. I'm getting it. AIP provided the services of writer Ib Melchior, who had previously written movies uh, such as The Angry Red Planet in 1959, Reptilicus in 1961, as well as the relatively big-budget Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which actually got a Criterion edition. It was an early Criterion edition. Um, Melcher wrote the screenplay for the English-language version of the film with some assistance from AIP producer Louis M. Hayward. Um, American actors Barry Sullivan and Brazilian actor Norma Bengal led the cast of international actors. Writer Robert J. Skoktak reported that each cast member used only their own native language on set in many cases, not understanding what the other actors were saying. This is common for Italian films. Um, Sullivan's lines were spoken in English, uh, Bengals in Portuguese, Evie uh, Mirandis in Italian, and Angel Arnada's Aranda was in Spanish. Restricted by a low budget, Bava was unable to ut- utilize opticals, so all the film's extensive visual effects work was done in camera. Min- miniatures and forced perspective visuals were used throughout, with much colored fog adding atmosphere, but also obscuring the sheer cheapness of the sets. Bava would go on to explain, "Do you know that the unknown planet was what was the unknown planet was made of? A couple of plastic rocks. Yes, two. One and one, left over from a mythological movie made at Chinachetta Studios. To assist the illusion, I filled the set with smoke." According to Tim Lucas, the two plastic rocks were multiplied in several shots by mirrors and multiple exposures. The planet's exterior sequences were filmed on an empty stage obscured by mist, tabletop miniatures, and 
uh, process shots. So that's all the background I have. So, Phil, what are your final thoughts on Planet of the, Bi- of the Vampires? Definitely a vibe movie, i.e. like the kind of movie you have on in the background and don't pay attention to. But it does look good, and it's... Yeah, it's it's very much a background movie, so it works in that way. Cool. Any- it looks great. <laughs> Is that it? Pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's not a movie you pay attention to. Okay, Kit, what are your final thoughts on Mirio Bava's Planet of the Vampires? To, to be fair, that is kind of how we experienced it, just kind of on in the background. Uh, we well, we take our job very seriously as professional podcasters, um, but, uh, you know. Um, yeah, just as uh, Phil said, it was uh, fun visually. I, I do like how uh, each member of the crew looked like they'd just been to the salon before they hopped on board. They've all got, uh, all their hairdos are popping. Uh, the ladies and the guys both. Um, uh, they've also got uh, cool little uh, wristwatches. They've got little video watches. It's kind of a, I don't know if that had been seen in sci-fi before, but they'd pop them open and talk to one another. Steve Jobs is a huge, uh, was a huge uh, Planet of the Vampires fan. It could be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was saying when they when they had the, the wristwatch communicators, I was just like, man, why didn't they just make Apple watches like that where you flip them up to see the screen? As opposed to being a big, bright, blaring distraction. Well, yeah, and I, I think the there was some of that on Star Trek as well, the original series, uh, where uh, I know they had the other uh, the other kind of devices, the like the flip phones, but they also had little watch things sometimes as well. Um, yeah, just uh, neat how they did some of the effects. Graham, you were you liked how uh, when they were talking to the crew of the other ship initially before they land, they're talking to them on a video screen, and then the video cuts out. But you were pointing out how there's not a video screen there. It's, those actors are just behind a pane of glass, and then they just shut out the lights behind them. Yeah, it's a super clever way of doing that because you see it in so many sci-fi films, that you know the on-screen communication. And because they couldn't afford opticals, because I'm like, wow, this image is amazing. Because normally in this case, there would be like an overlay or an optical effect where you would put that in, and you would lose image quality quality due to degradation. So you'd lose two generations on the people on screen and one generation of image quality on the actors in the scene with them looking at the screen. And this one, there was no loss of image image quality because they just literally built a window into the set. And then when they lost picture, it was a quick, like, turn off the lights behind the window and all of a sudden they faded away. And it looked great. It was seamless. And I was just like, that's insanely cool and amazing to do. Uh, Any more final thoughts, Kit? No, that's about it. Cool. My final thoughts are: this movie is. I enjoyed it. Um, it's fun. Like I kind of feel like this is a was what they used to refer to as a midnight movie because midnight movies now are much more different. Midnight movies like you got to stay like be jolted awake every five seconds. Whereas like in the past, it was thought you could fall asleep for fifteen minutes and wake up and be kind of confused where you are. And this is definitely one of those movies. Um, We're basically saying the same thing, aren't we? Yeah. Um, but I really also dug, um, I mean, this was part of MGM's Midnight Movie Collection back when they were initially mo- releasing movies on DVD, which I missed those, that era. Like, I was uh, talking to uh, Daniel at Eyesore Cinema, one of the two remaining video stores in Toronto, and I was just kind of like, yeah, I bought Achieve the Killer uncut at Best Buy in, like, 2004. And I'm like, how did that happen, that there was an uncut version of a Takashi Miike film just available at Best Buy? Anyways, it was. Um but yeah, this this is a vibes movie, like we had said. Like I think this is a great movie to see on the big screen. Just let it wash over you. It's also a great movie just to, to watch at home while you're lying on the couch and maybe passing in and out of sleep. And you're like, what's going on? Did I see that? Did I not see that? Uh, visually, it's lush as hell. I, I want to see 
I want to see a return of sci-fi that looks like this, less clean lines and and you know Guardians of the Galaxy three style stuff. Yeah, this is not sterile like a lot of sci-fi. It's a very warmth. Yeah, yeah. It, it at times it could be best described as funky. Even even though the sets are kind of vast, like the uh, the spaceship that they're on is not very cluttered or, or uh, uh, close. It, it looks like a big set sort of uh, where there'd be echoes, but it's still got a warmth yeah, it's to like it. One little set. Yeah, and like that was the economic times. Like we'll we'll make a set look like uh, the inside of a spaceship, and I like it. I like the analog. I like the kit, like you said, the button and buttons and the switches, um, and the dials. Like analog. I always think analog will win out in the end because you know. If like well, with our modern spaceships with now, which now have like touchscreens, I'm like, so if the touchscreen cracks or freezes, how are you going to push that button? Well, they're actually finding this on uh, on cars nowadays because they they were starting to put like uh, touchscreen panels for uh, controls in cars, and it just it does not work. It's not people need like little buttons to push and stuff. It's uh, it's a safety issue. Yeah, I have a touchscreen in my car. Um, but yeah, so anyways, that was Planet of the Vampires. Thank you for listening. It's been a while. <laughs> So for Death by Video, I've been Phil. We're not dead. I've been Kit. And I'm Graham Singh. Saying thank you so much for listening. It's going to be a while before our next episode because I'm going to the Middle East. Um, keep watching amazing movies. Good night. I go out walking after midnight out in the If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance. And I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to j-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts.